0: The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show! You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Corella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Episode 114, my goodness, we've been at this for a long time. How are you all doing? How are my favorite musicians, creative people, builders of beautiful pieces of art, and of course, those of you out there who are just listening because you love and support those kind of people, Thank you all for joining us this week. I'm excited. This is going to be a fun show. We got so much cool stuff to talk about. Let me just run through the housekeeping stuff really quick so I can tell you what we're doing today because we got a good show. A lot of fun stuff going on. You picked a good week to download us, folks. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on our four platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. I really, really ask you guys, just please make that happen for us. If you listen to us on any of those platforms, throw us a like. If you're listening right now, throw us a like right now. Subscribe to us right now. Throw us a nice review. Those things help us move up in the world, and it would really, really mean a lot to me. And the other thing you can do that would really make me happy is shoot us an email. Breakthebusiness at gmail.com if you have a question you want us to answer on the show, a topic you want us to talk about either in the world of indie music and helping you move your career forward, entertainment law, pop culture. We're happy to answer your questions. Or if you just want to say hi. Say hi. Follow me on Twitter at Ryan K A I R. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash break the business. The Break the Business book, Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry is available on Amazon. We got it in three formats. You like paperback? We got your paperback covered. You like ebook because you're all about the Kindle. You like to read stuff on the subway. You don't want to carry a big, heavy book. I got you covered there too. It's in uh, ebook. You don't like to read? Hey, maybe reading's overrated. I got you set up with an audio book as well. You can get all that at amazon.com. It's got all three options there available for you. Or you can go to breakthebusiness.com and get a copy of the book there. That's my website, breakthebusiness.com. I'd really love for you guys to read this book. I I get emails from readers each week talking about how they enjoyed it, how they learned a lot from it, how it opened their eyes to something new and Gosh, that is both humbling and flattering to get that kind of stuff from musicians. It's the best kind of praise. When I hear somebody tell me, I'm a musician, I'm trying to move my career forward, and your book helped in even a small way, I mean, that's why I'm doing this. And so, gosh, it just feels so, so good. All right, enough self-aggrandizing, folks. Let's talk about what we're going to be doing this week. We got a great show today. First, our guest coming up in the next segment Ashley Curvabon is going to be joining us. She is the founder and director of Women Crush Music. This is a cool, cool organization. They create opportunities for women in music. They got branches all over the U.S. and Canada. They have a really cool national presence. They're building a really neat network. They got a lot of outreach programs, a lot of education programs. They're really trying to help women out in music. And if you've listened to any episodes of this podcast, you know that this is something we care a lot about. We are doing what we can to elevate the voices of women in music, create more opportunities for women in music. So I'm excited to have Ashley on in the second segment so that we can talk to her about that and learn more about this fantastic organization she's putting together. Now in the third segment, David is going to be coming in. Uh, David is in New Jersey now. He still lives in New Jersey, but we have him calling into the podcast Uh, to talk to us about movies. I I I hear y'all loud and clear. I see the emails. I see the Twitter posts. I miss Dave. When's Dave gonna be on the show? I like David's jokes. I like Dave's funny voices. And I'm with you, man. I love Dave too. I love talking to Dave. And so, even though he lives in New Jersey, even though he's got a life he's trying to build and he's got things going on and he doesn't live in Miami anymore, I I'm heeding your calls and I'm looking for ways that we can keep David involved in the show. Have him call in, have him talk about movies because he loves the movies and, you know, give you guys the Dave fix that you seem to so richly desire. And so he's going to come up in the third segment because (laughs) I was texting him earlier this week because we text all the time. I mean, I text him more than the person I'm married to because just we have that weird kind of funky connection. And even though he lives in a different place, I talked to him every day, and he was telling me that he was going to see the movie The Disaster Artist, which is this uh, new James Franco movie, James Franco, Dave Franco, Seth Rogen. It's going to win a lot of awards. It looks wonderful, and the movie is about the making of a movie called The Room, which by any objective measure is considered the worst movie ever made, and so this movie, The Disaster Artist, is all about how that movie was made, and the story is insane, and I've seen The Room probably 10 times because it is an awful, apocalyptically bad movie, but it is so bad, it is incredible to watch. And David was telling me that he is seeing The Disaster Artist and that he was also going to see The Room for the first time. He had never seen The Room before. This, you know, Dave, he's such a cinephile. He loves movies. He has never seen The Room and he was going to see The Room before The Disaster Artist. So what I said to Dave was... If you're going to watch The Room and then The Disaster Artist, I want you to come on the podcast today and tell me what it was like to see The Room and to see The Disaster Artist because I would give anything to be able to watch The Room for the first time again, to be able to watch that piece of cinematic garbage with virgin eyes. And so I'm going to do this vicariously through Dave because I'm, we're going to talk to Dave in the third segment and he's going to tell us all about his experience seeing the room for the first time. And, oh gosh, I'm so, so excited. Plus it gives us an excuse to talk to Dave and that's always fantastic. So that's in the third segment. And I have about 25 minutes banked to talk to Dave, but I know Dave, Dave doesn't, can't talk for 25 minutes. Dave, He's got more to say than that. So I'm pretty sure we're going to go over time there. So if you like hearing from Dave, you're going to get a lot of Dave in the third segment. So good for you. Before we bring in Ashley Curvabon in the second segment and Dave in the third segment, I want to talk about a couple things. First, a programming podcast note before we get into the news this week. Uh, Here's the kind of schedule for the podcast. I'm going to kind of give you... I never really reveal who the guests are until the day of, but I'm, I'm going to kind of tell you what's going on. So... Next week, our guest is going to be Graham Cochran. He runs The Recording Revolution, a great website, a fantastic informational resource to help musicians create great recordings on their own. That's, of course, a core message of this podcast because being an independent artist means being able to make your own recordings. And so Graham Cochran's platform is instrumental in that. And so we're going to talk to him next week about how to make your own recordings, how to learn how to do it, what equipment do you need to get started, and basically just how to jettison the excuses that many artists have about making their own music. And because I hear those excuses all the time, and what Graham's going to tell you next week is that you don't need to listen to those excuses. It's easier and more possible than ever to make great recordings on your own, and that really is key to achieving success in the new music industry. It's all about getting out as much great content as you can. Your fans have an insatiable desire for for great music, and so you don't want to make them wait. You always want to have something new to share with them, and creating great home recordings is a fantastic way to make sure you can meet the demand of your fans. So I'm excited to talk to Graham Cochran next week, but here's the thing. After next week, we have two more weeks of episodes where I kind of have a problem on my hands, and the problem is as follows. The week of, I believe it's January like 27th-ish, and then the week after that, so The week after next, and then the week after that, I'm out of the country. I'm going to be going to China for half business, half pleasure. Um, It's going to be a two week trip. The first week, it's a business trip. We're doing some uh, work over there for some clients. And then in the second half of the week, I'm excited for this. I'm going to visit my in laws. My in laws live in the northeastern part of China. I've only been able to meet them a few times. I met them at the wedding. I've met them a couple times other than that because I can't get to China that often, but my wife and I will be going to China to see my in-laws in her hometown, and I'm excited. It's going to be so incredible. I'm just thrilled for this. It's going to be freezing, like northeastern China in January, February. I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but it's going to be life-changing for me, and so I'm very excited for this trip, but the problem is for the two weeks that I'm in China— we still have a podcast to do and if i may be perfectly candid with all of you i don't know what i'm going to do for those 2 weeks what i don't want to do what i don't want to do is i don't want to be dark for those 2 weeks i don't want to just take those 2 weeks off and you have you not have a podcast for 2 weeks cuz i just got finished saying 2 minutes ago how important it is to keep a steady stream of content for your listeners and so i can't just not have an episode for those 2 weeks but the problem is i'm in china Not only am I away from my studio, but China doesn't have Facebook. It doesn't have Twitter, and it doesn't have SoundCloud, which is the platform I use to put this podcast out. So, you know, it's not like I'm going to a country where I can still run my podcast. Like, I'm going to be far, far away from my podcast and technologically hobbled in terms of being able to put my podcast on the air, and so I don't know what to do. And so I am seeking your input. Listeners, what would you want me to do? so that we can still have a podcast for these 2 weeks. And we have different options here. One thing I was thinking of was I could pre-record something before I leave for China, so it's still my show and we still have the guests, but the content will have to be more evergreen. You know, we can't do current news because by the time I do an episode and we put it up for when I'm in China, the news is going to be old already. So I can't and and you know, things are changing so fast in the music industry. I can't just, you know, try to do news for and pre-recording an episode. So that's not going to work, I don't think, but we can try that if you guys think that's better. But another idea I had, and I've done this a little bit before, but I I want to I might be willing to try it again is having a guest host for the podcast. Somebody in our community, somebody out there in the world, I would be willing to have somebody else host the podcast for 2 weeks and then we'll put that podcast up and they'll be the guest host. For those two weeks while I'm in China. I would be willing to do that. If that's something that you listeners would want. And so let me know. Uh, Talk to me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Or email me at BreakTheBusiness at gmail.com. I've laid out the problem for you. I'm in China for two weeks after next week's episode. I still want the show to go on. I still want an episode for those two weeks. What would be the best way for you to enjoy those two weeks of episodes. Would you rather have me try to pre-record something, even though it won't be current news, or would you rather me have a guest host get a fresh perspective in there, hear from somebody new on this podcast, maybe hear from an artist? You can have this show hosted by somebody who actually makes music, and you get that kind of first hand knowledge, as opposed to hearing from some entertainment lawyer every week. Let me know kind of what you think works best and we will accommodate you. We are all about just doing what the listeners want on this podcast. This is your show. We want to make something that you are really going to benefit from. And, you know, but I have to go to China. There's no getting out of it. I I rarely see my in-laws as it is. And so this has to happen. And so let's figure something out. Let me know. Let me know. Let's get some input going here. And before we bring in our guest, uh, let's do a quick news story this week. I want to talk about this change in Facebook's algorithm because this has been crazy. I mean, ever since this uh, story came out, I've heard artists emailing me about it. I've seen Facebook and Twitter posts about it. People are going crazy. Artists are legitimately worried about this change in Facebook's algorithm. They think it's going to affect their ability to promote themselves on the platform, get their message out there on the platform. And I know a lot of artists are worried. And more than anything, I know a lot of artists are just confused when you hear about changes in algorithms. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear the word algorithm, my brain just immediately locks up. Like, I'm like, oh, this is going to be confusing as hell. Cause I'm not a tech guy. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know an algorithm from a, from a hole in the ground. So you know, I can see a lot of you out there being confused, like I, I don't know what to make of this. I, it sounds like something that's important for my career, but I, I don't know what it means. And so what I want to do for a few minutes here is kind of break down what's going on with Facebook and talk to you about some potential solutions that you would implement to kind of keep your presence on Facebook strong, even as the algorithm is changing. So first things first, let's break down what happened here. So this past week, Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg announced that the social media platform is going to be changing its algorithm, its formula, basically. uh, And it's going to change it in such a way that it will make it so that certain kinds of posts are going to appear more often on users' news feeds than other posts. So as you guys know about Facebook, we all have hundreds of friends on Facebook. We follow lots of things on Facebook. And you don't see every single Facebook post that your friends and the people you follow and like on Facebook post, or else you'd be reading stuff all day and you'd be reading a lot of dreck. Facebook, you know, has an algorithm that decides for you what stuff you're going to see on your newsfeed based on how you engage and and what the posts are like. And so what Facebook has done is they've changed that algorithm again. And the change in question is going to lead to users on Facebook Seeing on their newsfeed more posts from their friends, more posts from the people that they actually physically know in the world, and fewer posts from businesses and brands. So in a statement, Zuckerberg said, we've gotten feedback from our community that public content posts from businesses, brands, and media is crowding out the personal moments that lead us to connect more with each other. And to change that, what Zuckerberg has said he's going to do is again, I'm reading from the statement here users are going to see less public content from posts like businesses, brands and media and the public content you will see is going to be held to a uh, a higher standard that's going to encourage more meaningful reactions between people and i could see a lot of artists sort of shaking in their boots like this because businesses, brands, media that's not just big businesses, that's your facebook fan page, that's your band's page, that's your artist page that could con- conceivably be shown less on Facebook because of this change in the algorithm. And this has ruffled a lot of feathers. I, I can tell you, uh, news came out that shares in Facebook went down 4% after Zuckerberg's statement. Uh, within, you know, Basically, Mark Zuckerberg clicked post on that statement and Facebook lost billions, tens of billions of dollars in value like that. And part of the reason is that look, yeah, Facebook might be more fun if we only get to hear from our friends and the people that we know personally, but guess who pays for Facebook to be run? It's the businesses and the brands. Like, you know, know, people say like Facebook is free, but Facebook is free because you're not the customer. You're the product being sold. The customer are businesses who pay to have their stuff on Facebook so that you, the uh, Facebook user, see them. And so, that made a lot of businesses upset and people think that that you know shareholders panicked and probably a lot of people sold stock in Facebook and so shares went down and but Facebook's going to come out and say no this is us being virtuous we're just we're trying to make the platform better for our customers bring people closer together and you know that all sounds fine and good that being said the cynic in me thinks that this is just a cash grab by Facebook basically when Facebook says that they're trying to reduce posts from businesses reduce the reach of posts from businesses what they're really saying is businesses can still post and their posts can still reach people but they're going to have to pay more to cut through the clutter and boost their posts to end up more on news feeds basically this algorithm is attaching a lead weight to posts from businesses making it harder for those posts to reach listeners and facebook's going to say well your posts can still reach the listeners you can still cut through the clutter in our algorithm but you're going to have to pay more. And that could adversely affect indie artists like you because you are a business and you have a page on Facebook that is going to get less views because of this algorithm change. And unfortunately, because you're an indie artist, you probably don't have the resources to boost your posts the way that big companies do. And so you're going to be at more of a disadvantage than those big companies are. So what do you do here? because i know you you guys are worried a lot of you have invested a lot of time and resources in facebook you have a lot of fans on facebook you want to be able to reach them and you got you're trying to figure out what to do next and so social media experts out there have said that they think there are ways that your fan pages can still get engagement in this new algorithm but you do have to change your approach as an artist in terms of how you operate on Facebook, how you post on the platform. The game is different. Now there's a great article in digital music news that came out that talks about this very idea. And after you're done with this episode, you might want to check it out. It's called how musicians can make the most out of Facebook's upcoming changes. And what this article talks about is that if you want your band posts to rise to the top of Facebook's new algorithm, if you want to figure out how to navigate this new algorithm and still get the same kind of engagement you got before, you need to post more things that are spontaneous and foster real engagement from your fans. So as Zuckerberg noted in his statement, more the more you can get engagement, the more that you can inspire conversations from the people who follow you, the more that you're going to be boosted in this. So what that means is fewer scheduled posts. You know, don't do the scheduled posts because those aren't going to get engagement. You know, that's, it's repetitive. You're not going to get comments on those. You're not going to get people talking, uh, especially get rid of the, the buy our album and check out our website posts. I mean, social media experts will tell you that those kind of generic posts, buy our album, buy our album, buy our album, like our page, like our page, like our page. Most experts will tell you that you shouldn't be posting stuff like that. Anyway, your, your fans hate it. You're not getting any engagement out of them. And nobody buys an album of yours because you say, buy my album. That's, you know, that's not, you know, you can't direct sell on Facebook. You need to build engagement. You need to build your fans to be interested in you. And then, then once you've got them in the tent, then they'll want to support you. And so, but especially now with this new algorithm, you definitely don't want to use those buy our album, check out our website, direct kind of posts, because you're not going to get a conversation out of that. You're not going to get engagement out of that. So you're not going to get any reach for those posts. Instead, what you want to do is make posts that are going to be ones that foster these conversations that get engagement from your fans. So long posts on Facebook with lots of texts where you bear your soul, where you inspire people to want to talk about what you wrote. Those are good. Text posts are good. Stories are good. Posts where you ask your fans questions and you seek their direct input beautiful. Perfect. Because that's going to get engagement. You ask a question, it invites an answer. Answers are comments. Comments are engagement. Engagement boosts you up on the algorithm. You want to create conversations here. This isn't basically anything that's just a one-way communication. Those are bad on Facebook now. So buy my album. That's a one-way communication. Look at this picture. That's a one-way communication. Check out this band FOBO of mine. You know, that's a one-way communication. Go to my website. Here's a link. Those are one-way communications. Those are bad. Those don't get engagement on this new algorithm. Or those don't get uh, reach on this new algorithm. What you want to do instead are asking questions, writing posts in which you encourage people to get back to you. That that gets comments. That gets engagement. That moves you up in this new algorithm. Um, Digital Music News also talked about in the article how live videos are perhaps the best thing that you can do uh, with this new kind of algorithm. And in fact, a live video in which you ask a question as the title of your post is just is is the way to go is the way to go. Because what that does is you encourage fan engagement because your video asks a question. So it invites people to answer that question in comments. And then create a conversation. But what it also does is that since it's a live video, you you create a 40, 50, 60 minute window, however long your live video is, to encourage your fans to engage throughout the post. So it's it's sort of a wide open, big window for engagement, 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 which means your post gets boosted and boosted and boosted tons of reach so that's that's got to be the way to play this here again if you want to check out this article because there's so much great advice in it uh it's called how musicians can make the most out of facebook's upcoming changes in digital music news and let me close with this point as we end the first segment when it comes to reaching out to your fans online do not lose sight of the broader lesson here because and this is a lesson we've talked about on this podcast a lot there are things that you should do in, in terms of changing your Facebook behavior to adapt to this new change in algorithm. But what you really need to do is focus on your email list. Because here's the thing. Social media platforms change. Algorithms change all the time. Social media platforms, they come, they go, they change. Social media sites, you've built up a ton of fans, and then boom, they change their rules on you, and you lose all those fans overnight. You have to protect against that. And the only way to protect against that is to make sure you have your fans built on a platform that truly belongs to you. And the only fan platform that truly belongs to you is an email list. Every other platform, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, what have you, those are all platforms in which you are at the mercy of whatever platform controls those fans. And they can take them away from you overnight. But fans on an email list can last forever. They're the only true fans you have. There's no algorithm that can take them away for you. And so if you don't have an email list, if you haven't built one, there is no time like the present. You can build one easily. You create a, a website, you offer something on your website that says, I'll give you a free download of my song. If I get your email address, boom, you get email addresses and, uh, You know, now you have a direct line of communication to your fans that cannot be taken away with an algorithm. You might also want to look at a site called Noise Trade. We've had the CEO of uh, Noise Trade on in the past. What that does is it's a platform where you can offer downloads of your music for free in exchange for email addresses. It's a great way to get a ton of email addresses uh, really quickly. So there you go. So there's a, a smaller lesson and a bigger lesson in terms of Facebook's change. The smaller lesson, you need to change the way that you present yourself on Facebook you need more posts that get engagement and that's how you're going to overcome the change in this algorithm that has made it harder for businesses to get reach on Facebook. But more than that, you need to develop a native platform. You need an email list that's going to keep your fans close to you no matter what Facebook or any platform does. All right, Ashley a Bond up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless Plug Time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. She is the founder and executive directress of Women Crush Music, a nonprofit organization that supports women in songwriting and has branches throughout the United States and Canada. You can find out more about the organization and its initiatives by visiting www.womencrushmusic.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashley Curvabon is on the Break the Business podcast. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be chatting with you today.
0: I'm excited. We will just take a sledgehammer to the patriarchy together. This is going to be great. Ashley, let's get right into it. Can you tell us a bit about what Women Crush Music does? I know the organization recently relaunched as a nonprofit and is looking now to sponsor a bunch of emerging initiatives, right?
1: Yes. Um, so pretty much, uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a history, if that's okay, just because things might make a little bit more sense then. Lay it um, on me. Sounds great. <laughs> so Woman Crush started um, a kind of in segments, I guess, um, all last year or like late 2016. Um, I was semi-new to Portland still. Um, I'm from New York. I had moved here um, had a bit of a wash of a first year in Portland because uh, I broke my foot and I was pretty much immobile for like a year.
0: Oh, gosh. <laughs> Welcome to Portland.
1: Good it was awful. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> it's all good. Everything happens for a reason, though. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm a firm believer in that. <laughs> um, and so I was trying to get back into the music scene in Portland and I didn't really know what to do. Um, I moved to Portland not really knowing anyone. I knew my cousin. And she was not in the music industry, and so she was just kind of like, I don't know, can't you go to an open mic or something? (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, well, um, sure, let me just find some. And so, you know, thankfully I did find a couple, and the open mic that I was going to actually then stopped being an open mic. Um, They just stopped doing it, and I was kind of lost as to what to do next, and the venue that was a couple blocks from my house, the Jade Lounge, um, I saw the owner was posting on Facebook that he was looking for a host for a monthly event, and I was like, wow, like that would be super cool and not to mention convenient. It's down the block from my house. I've been curating shows, like all women Bill since I lived in New York. It's just something that I've always wanted to do. And at this point, I was like, wow, it would be really cool. And it would be really great way for me to make friends and connections. I think if I started doing this here in Portland and so that's kind of how it all started um i started doing these monthly showcases here and um local media started catching on to them um you know portland radio project and indie station here has been super super supportive um and now kgw the portland today show um has been promoting us and they're signing on as a promotional sponsor for us and And when I noticed that this could be like an actual thing, um, I started reaching out to the women in music groups that I'm a part of, and they were just like, hey, like, why don't you start a chapter in New York or L.A. or Nashville? And, you know, my first instinct was to be like, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. Like, I should bring this to New York because I lived there for pretty much my entire life and we do need something like this here and I consider myself pretty bicoastal still I go back like three or four times a year to see the fam, and, and so I thought New York should be my next step and then shortly after that um people from Nashville contacted me and we started setting up showcases there and then setting up showcases in Vancouver um that happened over the summer and that was great because that means we're international and that's a crazy thing to happen in like 4 <laughs> months of existence. Um, and and then you know I started thinking like wow, we could really have a chapter in all of the major US cities and Canada and you know my my family, um my mom's side of the family is all in Mexico and my cousins know about Woman Crush and when I went in September they came to me and they were just like, Hey, like we should really get this going down here. Like, and I was just like, wow. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Um, because at this point, like I had been paying for everything, like it, woman crushes my business. And I'd been funding all four cities and trying to run all four cities by myself. And at that point I was just like, over the summer, I was overwhelmed. Um, And I was like, okay, I need a team. And really, you know, we'd been functioning as a nonprofit, but we weren't actually. And to be honest, it took me a really long time because I thought it was this ridiculously long process, which you need a lawyer and all that stuff. And turns out it's not like that anymore here in Oregon. So I was just like, let's do it. And I brought on some really awesome team members. Um, and together we have fleshed out kind of what we want Women Crush to be this year and what we want it to become and that is not only doing these showcases um, but also bringing workshops and networking events um, to women songwriters and, you know, hopefully with funding we can do those all for free Um, and I think pairing... The workshops and the networking events together as one event um, is the better approach to this because not all artists are as extroverted as I seem to be, and they hear networking <laughs> <laughs> seem to be, and they hear networking events. And they're just like, oh my god, it's scary! I don't want to talk to people. And you know, I've I've heard you say like in some of your previous podcasts that like you're not really all that comfortable going to networking events and stuff like that and that you're a little awkward but, like a lot of artists are <laughs> <laughs>
0: well that's why that's why i started a podcast because it's easier for me to talk to you in a conversation like this than if i were to walk up to ashley kirvabon at a cocktail party and try to make small talk
1: exactly right so okay so then you can put your two cents in here because our plans for the workshops is to do like a one-hour workshop and then do like a one-hour Of networking after that so that people actually have something to talk about and it's not just going up to someone at random being like oh hey I like your shoes (laughs) (laughs) or you know something like that Um, that's a great idea yeah thank you um so those are going to be starting in the next couple of months as well um you know we're just trying to I think awareness is everything right now just making people aware that we exist uh, especially in the new cities um you know in Portland it's gotten to the point where I can reach out to someone else in the industry and they'll be like oh yeah like we've heard of you or we know what you're doing thank you um and I really want to work on developing the rest of the those chapters um this year to get them all to that point you know um so yeah, that's that's what we're up to.
0: That is so exciting! Just, I mean, that in 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 what is comparative relatively a short period of time, you've oh, yeah. <laughs> got this idea. It's caught fire. You got it going in multiple cities in the United States. You have it going on in Canada, and you've already assembled a team of dedicated creatives who are helping make this happen. That's really tremendous in this short period of time. That's fantastic! Congratulations! That's fantastic.
1: Thank um, you. You know, I am. I'm so grateful, and I feel so lucky that I, I think that all you know these people just they came to me. I, I interviewed a lot of people when I was looking to expand to the other cities, and we really we really have a kick ass team. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we really really do, and you know these these chapter from the chapter leaders who are working on. We have a Woman Crush Facebook community pages for every city that we're in um so that we can add artists and industry members too so they know when our events are and stuff like that we also have a newsletter going on um so there's lots of ways to like get involved with the community um not only locally but you know let's say um an artist in miami wants to tour like california and oregon like they can just reach out to the women in Crush woman crush network and be like hey like women, uh, chapter leaders in la and san francisco and portland can you help me um book a show or do you have any showcases going on or can do you know someone that can help me book a show i think it'll also make touring a lot easier like it will now because we have we're in 13 cities but imagine when we're in like 50 cities or 100 cities you know like i i think it's just going to change everything.
0: I love the secret sauce of this organization in terms of a way to <laughs> elevate the uh, voices of women. Cause you have the local component so that, you know, people can get integrated into their communities and you can take great information right down to the local level and, you know, help those people where they live. But you also have this nationwide network. So as you said, if an artist wants to tour in another place or wants to, you know, network with people on the other side of the country or, or in other countries, you would have that infrastructure available for them. That's a great one-two punch. That's fantastic.
1: That is that is the goal, and you know, I I at this point, I have no doubts that it will happen. And at this point, I think it's going to happen like in the next couple of years. Like things are things are really happening here. So,
0: well, it's going to happen with the support of people, and I can definitely make sense that you're going on platforms like this podcast and others to recruit people. And I do want to give you the opportunity to give people information on what they can do to lend their support to Women Crush Music. But first, I would be remiss in having somebody like you who has devoted their life to elevating women in music and in the entertainment industry and not kind of talk about the broader context of where we are right now in the entertainment business, which is the fact that this idea that women are facing a lot of difficulties in the music industry and in the entertainment industry is finally something that we're starting to bring up a lot more. Um, unfortunately, it's been because of, you know, you know, news stories about Harvey Weinstein and all these people, but it, you know, it's nice that we're having this conversation finally. And, and since I have you here, I'd love to get your perspective on some thoughts that other women in music have shared on this podcast about the challenges that women face a couple of years back. We spoke with Rory Kelly on this podcast of Go Girls Music, Mm -hmm. and she talked a little bit about the microaggressions that women face in music and how those microaggressions can diminish women and impair their ability to move forward. Let me just play this clip for you real quick. The legal views and...
2: One big one that a lot of women get is just the pervasive assumption that we don't know what we're doing. I don't know if you've ever walked into a music store or walked into a venue and had someone instantly assume that you had, like, the confidence level of a 12-year-old. But it happens to every woman I know most of the time. So, frequently, I'll walk into a venue, or just this last week, I walked into a session. I was hired as a session singer on the song. The engineer gets there, and I this is part of what I do for a living. You know, I've done a lot of vocal sessions. I kind of grew up in a studio, so I'm very, very comfortable. And the engineer, as we're setting up the mic and everything is really talking to me. Like I'm a four-year-old on a cute little studio tour. And he's like, Oh, I can do all kinds of audio tricks. And, you know, let me set up the, let me set up the microphone for you this way. And, you know, just be careful that you don't back too far off and you don't come too far in. And it's, really just the tone of voice more than anything else where it, I don't think most men even realize they are doing it, but they talk to women so differently than they would speak to a male colleague or even an inexperienced man.
0: Women are. So we, we we hear from that clip that, you know, Rory just kind of goes over the fact that even though she's an experienced musician, she's been doing this for a long time. People perceive that she's inexperienced and that you know she needs to be guided by men and 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 I've heard that narrative from other women in music. So, in your own experience, Ashley has, have you or your colleagues experienced these kind of microaggressions as well?
1: Where should I begin? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so I can tell you about the first time, and I'm I'm just going to speak from my own personal experience because unfortunately I have plenty to share. Um, which I'm sure goes into you know my motivation and all that stuff to to really make woman crush a, a thing um, um, so I was uh, how old was I 19 years old um, I was working at a really big uh, jazz club in New York City and it was by far one of the most awesome like very badly paid hourly jobs that I've ever had (laughs) Um, because of the amount of amazing musicians that would roll through and industry people and I really learned a lot about the business and all that stuff and and up until then I I didn't really notice like how like being a woman affected me in this industry and at the time you know I was in school and I was just starting to major in communications and I, I thought that I really, really wanted to be a music journalist and so I was looking for internships at that point in time and this very famous writer for a very famous music publication um, frequented the club and so I was on a first name basis with him and he was always really nice to me and I... Asked him one day, because I was just like, why not? The worst thing he could do is say no. I was just like, hey, you know, like, do you think that maybe, um, because he would always ask me about school and stuff, so it wasn't, like, unprecedented, right, that I was going to ask him if I could be his intern or his assistant the next semester, and he straight up said that would be pointless because a publication like the one I work for would never hire a woman writer.
0: <laughs> what?
1: And I was just like, "Oh." And then he oh. was like, "Yeah." He was like, "You know, it's it's not me, but I'm just telling you, my office is just a bunch of white dudes."
0: <laughs> oh man! And
1: I was—that oh. was like my first serious letdown, and I was just kind of like, "Oh." crap well there goes that drew
0: see i started this conversational branch about microaggressions and you came at me with just a straight up aggression aggression oh my god that's terrible and felt like it had to be mentioned (laughs) oh no that's a that's a fantastic story any chance we can get you to out this guy on the show
1: you know i don't want to out him because he he apologized. It wasn't like, a, oh, yeah, like this is me telling you that we don't want women working for us and blah, 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 blah. He was pretty much just like, this is how it is. But then again, he didn't say, let's try to break this and let's try to get you in here, <laughs> which is what I'm realizing now that he could have said. <laughs>
0: and, and that's actually a great segue into another question I have, which is, Right, because, I mean, that, that's that's where you're coming at it, because it's easy for every single man to say, we want things to be better for women, but, you know, I've, everybody I work with would never allow this. But if all of us who say that actually tried to do something to make things better, it would make things better. So, um, and, I'm, and I'm sure you get this question from guys all the time, and perhaps it frustrates you to hear it over and over, but what can men in this industry do to be better allies to women and elevate the place of women in the music industry?
1: I think aside from being aware that this is going on, speaking up, you know, and I think that you're like, I did my research right before I came on this podcast. I, was obviously a listener before, but I really looked through your guests (laughs) and you do a really great job about featuring, you know, a diverse group of people. Um, and I think that that is one of the most important things that people can do. Like not only saying that you're going to make a change or, you know, say that we should make a change, but actually do something about it. Well, Um,
0: it's great that you bring that up. And, if I can be perfectly candid, I mean, that, that that compliment means a lot coming from you, but when I started this podcast, I don't think I was as diverse as I should have been, and okay. it wasn't until I started interviewing more women, and they were bringing up points about being purposeful about you know elevating the voice of women and, and being purposeful about diversity that I actually kind of do inventory of myself and say, okay, this isn't right. This has to be fixed. And now I find myself being more purposeful about kind of, cause it, it was just sort of a hidden bias on my part. And, you know, it's something that I've, I've resolved to fix and, you know, and, and I, and I'm still not where I want to be. And I think, but I, I think, you know, if, if more men can kind of come to that conclusion and be purposeful, that could be a great step forward.
1: Hey, the men behind Women Crush are important, too. We have a male board member and also um, my brother, actually, um, Diego. He's uh, stepping up and we're launching a blog, um, a Women Crush music blog in March uh, for our one-year anniversary. And he's actually going to be one of the main editors. And he's super, super pumped. And so, you know, just those are just two examples of you know, Women Crush uh, loves supports from men. So if you want to make a difference, uh, ask us how you can. (laughs) Uh,
0: It would be my pleasure. Let's I want to kind of get your crystal ball out here because I love what you guys are doing. And I want to see where this is going. Where is Women Crush five years from now? What can we be looking forward to?
1: Okay, are you ready for this? I'm (laughs) in my chair.
0: Let's do this.
1: I am from New York, and I am very ambitious. (laughs) 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 Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so, Women Crush in five years. Um, I want to, um, among other things, I'm really envisioning, like, once we get the funding, um, is to own kind of, like, touring homes for artists, um, for women artists to use as part of Women Crush. Um, Obviously, it'd be, like a very big reach to own them like everywhere we have chapters right but in like the main hubs like portland new york la nashville um wherever we can um and i think this is really important because one it's expensive obviously but two like in terms of safety like it would just be so great if women artists or any artists really didn't have to worry about someone stealing their gear while they're sleeping in their van or worse (laughs) and they had like a safe place to stay that wasn't going to cost them two hundred dollars a night um so that's one of like my bigger dreams for this and also just to be able to take artists on tour too like who who says that we can't have like a woman crush bus that takes like West Coast artists to the East Coast, or vice versa, or Canadian artists to Mexico, or vice versa. You know, um, I really want you know when I when I dream about the future of this organization, I really dream big, and I don't just want to expand um, with how many chapters we have, but also what we're doing with those chapters. Um, so yeah, that's that's my short answer. <laughs> I, I
0: like that a lot, and you know, I, I also like that you know you you seem to be emphasizing in your in your plans for this organization not just information for women you know and networking and those things are important but also looking out for the practical needs of women in music you know when you you know, getting when as you said when women are going on tour finding a place to stay where they know they're going to be safe where they know their stuff's going to be safe is something that you know, certainly we don't think of and, and something that men often don't think of because it's not really a concern for us when we go on tour. We go on tour, we, we'll, we'll just crash on anybody's couch because we, we feel safe wherever we are. And that is a practical concern for women. And that's so cool that your organization is already thinking of that and has things in place. So I'm excited about this. And I know some of the listeners are too, men and women alike. If people want to lend their support to Women Crush Music, or at least just find out more about it, what can they do?
1: um well our website um is updated now thanks to our marketing director katie zaccardi and our uh, branding gal michelle and um, they did a really great job about uh, updating the site so uh, womencrushmusic.com um and all of the information is up there about the chapters that we currently have and now we have all these really cool fancy forms on the site if you want to play a showcase or be a partner or become a chapter leader and start a chapter in your city. Um all those forms are up there as well. Um and like I said we have Facebook community groups that you can join if you're industry or an artist. Um and also the newsletter that is going to be going out every every month.
0: Oh that all sounds so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Again you can check out that website WomenCrushMusic.com. um, Before we let you go, Ashley, same question we ask everybody, and I'm pretty excited for your answer to this. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward?
1: I would say that my biggest tip is to ask, Um, and I say this because, you know, with trying to grow this organization, I've been hesitant to, you know, reach out to big publications to write about us or X, Y, Z things, but the more I learn about the industry is that you are not going to get anywhere if you don't just, you know, suck up your fear of rejection and just ask. Like, ask to play that show. Ask to be featured on that blog. Ask to be, you know, build with that bigger band that you've been wanting to play with forever. Like, just ask. Because literally the worst thing that can happen is that they say no. And then you can just ask again. <laughs> <laughs> That's my approach to life right now.
0: <laughs> I, I always sort of talk about the default is no. Like if you don't ask them, it's already a no. So whether you ask them, whether you don't ask them or you ask them and they say no, it's still the same. So you might as well at least ask so that there's a chance for a yes. Exactly. Yeah, there
1: exactly. You
0: go. Um, Ashley Curvabon, everybody, you can check it dot uh, womencrushmusic.com out. I think you would very, very much enjoy it. Ashley, it has been a pleasure. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon.
1: Thank you so much, Ryan.
0: We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast.
3: Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available on Amazon.com.
0: Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, that's
3: fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial.
0: Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Ashley Kervabon for joining us in the previous segment. Be sure to check out www.womencrushmusic.com to find out more about her organization and what you can do to support your local Women Crush Music chapter. I am I'm so impressed by her. I truly believe that there are some people in this world that you can talk to them and know within five minutes that they are just born leaders who are ready to tackle the world and just have fantastic Leadership qualities, and she's that kind of person. Just that quick conversation we just had, I know she's going to do some amazing things with Women Crush Music. And we're going to keep tabs on her, we're going to bring her around more because I want to see this organization develop and expand and create some great opportunities for women in music, both on the national scale as well as in people's local chapters. So, oh, so cool. Thank you, Ashley, for joining us this week. And also, as I teased in the first segment, uh, we do have our good friend Dave here. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Hey, buddy. Hey, oh. everyone out there. Oh, so uh, How's great.
3: everyone doing?
0: Everybody is great, and it's so good to have you from New Jersey. As I teased in the first segment, uh, we had right. a, a text conversation, you and I, earlier this week, yes. that you were going to go see The Disaster Artist, but right. that in preparation for seeing this movie— You were also going to see The Room, the movie that Disaster Artist was based on, and you had never seen The Room before. Now, let me just give people a quick piece of background here, Dave. The Room is, by any objective measure, the worst movie of all time. And that's what, yeah.
3: Hold on a second, by the way. You're just launching right into it. Like, there's no, hey, how are you? Let's, like, chit-chat or nothing. You're just like, no, 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 no. You're not here. I don't care about you anymore. Just give me your information that you have and get the frig out of here, okay? You're you're, you're nothing to me. You're a thousand miles away. You might as well be dead. I'm, I'm humoring you by giving you this segment and just give it to me and go.
0: Oh, no, it's just the opposite, man. What it is is that the people out there, they don't shut up about you. They miss Dave. They want any uh-huh. opportunity to hear from Dave again. And so I just want to get into the good stuff with you. But my apologies. How are you, buddy? It's good to hear from you. You
3: said that so not genuinely. (laughs) You got me. Well, let's see. Uh, The sun is shining out here out the window, which is a a total feat. The trees are deader than Harvey Weinstein's career. Um, (laughs) Hang on. The ground is a sickly brownish green. There's no snow anymore. The temperature right now, on according to AccuWeather, is 14 degrees with a real feel of 7. Oh, just God. To, ju- just to, for some juxtaposition. Oh, okay, it's not totally great in in uh, Miami, but it's 54 degrees and sunny. So that's, that's obviously a heck of a lot better.
0: I had to wear a sweater this morning to walk the dog. I'm suffering, man. You, you had to wear a sweater. <laughs> God damn you, you son of a—all right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, uh, so far, uh, Dave, LA Watch, 2018— uh, we haven't heard anything yet. <laughs> We've got people all, all over the country scouring for, uh, for L.A. opportunities, and that's not a joke. I do have people, wherever I can find them. Hey, do you know someone out there? Talk to someone. Hey, oh, they're a dog walker? I don't care. Um, You'd be so good at that. Dogs that. love you. Yeah, they do, m- m- like Molly does.
0: Oh, my dog loves you more than my dog loves me. I have I know. That's why I'm she's very, very right bitter here, about next that. Right now. <laughs> Molly!
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No. So you know, actually, uh, went to New York City yesterday. Actually, I I, I had a movie that I, I had a double feature yesterday. A really great double feature, The Disaster Artist. Yeah. And Coco. Oh, I saw Coco too this week. What'd you think of it? You saw Coco 2? I well, no. I think it was. It's just Coco. It's just the first one. That hasn't oh. been a sequel yet.
0: Yeah, Coco too, son of Coco. I
3: barely, I barely heard it, but I heard it. No, good. <laughs> yeah, this is this is weird. I'm, I'm not used to being the, the the one that calls in on Skype.
0: I know. Normally
3: we just have you know the the, the peasants, the plebes that, that that come before us to 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 grovel and to you know th- that we allow them to to speak on the air. <laughs> now I'm one of them that's the coming through Skype.
0: A damn yeah. straight. Well. Right, we, I do want to talk about The Room, and I do want to talk about The Disaster Artist. But since you brought it up, what did you think of Coco?
3: I, I loved Coco. I'm, I, I'm trying to think if it's now my favorite Pixar movie.
0: Really? It's
3: that good? It, well, it spoke to me. And it's so funny because it's a movie obviously about Mexican culture and Mexican heritage. But watching it, I'm like, I really want to get in touch with my Cuban roots and my Cuban heritage. I really feel it works as a great movie for Latin peoples everywhere. Um, So... Like like the freaking like the abuelita, you know, she takes off her chancleta and like always as like her threatening, menacing thing. I'm like, oh, Mexican grandmothers do that too. It wasn't just my grandmother, <laughs> you know, waving the chancleta around. You know, the you know when she's giving him the food, the tamales and everything, it's like, do you want some more? He's like, no. It's like, oh, oh I'm sorry. This is not really a question. You're going to eat the food. You're going to eat more, <laughs> more and more and more. I want to stuff you. Like, oh, yep. That's my grandmother. <laughs> um, so it definitely made me miss. Yeah, maybe miss my grandparents.
0: Well, without giving away any uh, spoilers, did it make you cry?
3: Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> M- many times.
0: Yeah. See, yeah. It's, I, it,
3: I was. I was totally
0: crying. For me, it snuck up on me at the end because we got about five minutes left in the movie, and I was like, "Wow, this is the first Pixar movie that hasn't made me cry." You know. And then at the end, he plays the song, and yeah, then I freaking lose it.
3: I thought it was interesting that the movie's called Coco. Yeah, and it so it's all about the great grandmother.
0: Yeah, I thought that's that actually was cool. that was fascinating.
3: No. I'm like, oh wait a minute, oh this that's a, that's a that's a interesting sort of uh, creative choice. It's not. You know, I was thinking like, okay, at 1st I was thinking like, oh, is the kid going to be called Coco? I mean, the guitar? No. Yeah. I I <laughs> it was a great story. I did love the sort of the turn. You know, in terms of like. The family and all that, and yeah, you know, uh, the, the, the the story thing going. Uh, actually, it's this one. Um, there was no short in the in the beginning because I guess obviously you know they took, uh, um, you know they, they got rid of the, uh, the the frozen one that people were complaining about. Yeah. So and we just got to it. Uh, you know, no, nah, no, it was good. Uh, it, it was really good. Um, it, absolutely beautiful to look at. My, I, I'm probably. Maybe one of the best-looking Pixar movies ever. They did a great job on it. And like I said, maybe because it, it, it touches me in terms of like you know the Hispanic, the Latinness of it all. Maybe it does something more for me, and it probably does on a personal note than your average just person that doesn't and just seeing it as a movie. But I'm 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 really considering if, is this moving ahead of Wall-E
0: for me? Ooh.
3: Of. and because I you know I love Wally. yeah, I love Wally and I guess my, my whole nitpicking thing of Wally is I wish there was no humans. I wish there was zero talking in it.
0: You like the first just, half of Wally better than the second half.
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, whenever I hear people talk about up, I don't I still don't understand the, like the first ten minutes wrecked me. and then after that though, it's to me just up. i it just it never did anything for me and none of it really was that great for me. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, but I mean those those first that, those first like two minutes of that movie. Basically, your perfect movie is like the first forty five minutes of Wally and the first tense you know two minutes of Up, and that's like a you know, nice film for you right there. First, oh, where he's
3: in love and that's it, and there's nothing like the
0: end. Well, it's, it's just because it's just a very powerful sequence. But one of the things I appreciate about Coco, and I swear people were going to talk about the room, but. As a music person, I really appreciated that all of the guitar playing had authentic fingering. Like, all the chords he was playing were the right chords. And, like, you can tell he wasn't just like... And cartoons do this. Whenever you see somebody playing a guitar in a cartoon, yeah. they're just, like, moving their hand everywhere. And that's not how guitars work. But he was actually playing the right chords. He was on the right frets. like I was watching it the whole time. That takes attention to detail. That means they actually brought a guitar player in and had them, like, animate all the playing and yeah. that's the kind of meticulousness you'd expect from Pixar. And that's why they're so much better than all these other animation studios that all they do to make their cartoon movies is just take a noun and then make that noun talk.
3: Oh, yeah. and I did,
0: storks, I, yeah, movie, done.
3: One little detail I did like was during the talent competition in the the dead sphere was they're having like all the acts and everything. And they did have one mexican metal band act yeah which was cool because (laughs) you know you do have a lot metal is huge in mexico so i don't like i'm not sure i think i think brujeria is are they mexican i I can't i don't know i can't remember but there's a lot of up-and-coming spanish language heavy metal bands and i thought like oh that's pretty cool that they put that in there and like the, you know, it wasn't just like the one thing. I, I, it was funny to me. I did find it funny. But yeah, I love how this is now a cocoa nails as supposed yeah, to be rain. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Complete opposite uh, tonal picture. But it, it was interesting how De La Cruz was basically ran everything, even though he only got there like in
0: 1942.
3: Yeah, it's like wait, what what happened before. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. All right. I, I, I'm making the okay. r- line the of demarcation here. here. Yes. The whole reason I'm here. Let me, let me grab my notes. So the room been known as the greatest bad movie ever made.
0: Yeah. I'm so jealous that you got to you have seen, I've seen this movie like 10 times, but I would give anything to be able to watch it again with completely virgin eyes. And so I, I'm so excited to get your perspective from somebody who has seen the worst movie ever made for the first time. Tell us, what was it like?
3: Okay, so first off, I saw it uh, this past Wednesday, January 12th, as you know, it had a like a one-night-only like nationwide release for the first time ever. Uh, by the way, it went so well, they're doing it again, I think, on January 19th. Check your local showtimes, January 19th. I think it's going to be back in theaters again. Awesome. Um, so <laughs> I went, and there were a lot of uh, people there. Uh, the first thing was, yes, all the video cards, like two or three video cards for the same production company, Wiseau Films. I don't know if this was a feature of, for this showing or if this happens when you saw it well, how you saw it. There was a commercial for his underwear in before the movie started. Re, re, no, uh, <laughs> I
0: don't remember there that from two, my
3: viewing of it. There were two muscular shirtless guys in jeans that were kind of down sagging so that you can see the band the waistband right, of the right. underwear and they're playing basketball um not football ex- huh that's a shocker. here no they're playing basketball kind of like in slow motion in black and white and so you just see like you see like tommy wiseau on the waistband and that happened for about maybe like 30 seconds so that was interesting <laughs> um <laughs> So anyway, we we get to it, the room. Right off the bat. Ryan? Yeah. I have no idea where this film was set. Just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. There's legit outside of the storyline, perhaps maybe 10 minutes of B-roll footage of yeah. San Francisco.
0: So many establishing <laughs> shots. Oh my god. So many establishing it's, shots.
3: First of all, one of which is – I'm not sure if they did or they stole it the, – the 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 street from Full House. Yep, yep. The Full House Street. I'm like, oh, Full House. And they did it so much. And part of it was – actually, I wrote down in my notes, was this a TV show? <laughs> um, <laughs> it is
0: –
3: as it went on, and they had the shots of the Golden Gate Bridge, and it would
0: – and the length Such of the bridge a long shot. Oh, my God. You would have God. people go, go,
3: go, 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 go,
0: yeah! Like,
3: you know, just <laughs> to, to finish it. And again, it feels like, is this a live television production where we're cutting away to give the set people time to change set, to change scenery? Like, <laughs> it, it, that's what it felt like. It felt like lights go out and people are running on stage to change, like, the setup. <laughs> but no, it's a feature film. You don't need to do that. Right. You can just do whatever you want. <laughs> okay, so three and a half love scenes in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and I man, I had no... Okay, I, I wasn't expecting the nudity. Um, Not full-blown people. Well, I mean, shoot. You see uh, Lisa, you see her you know, you see her, she's, she's topless. Yeah. And Tommy, you just see
0: just <laughs> right there in your face. Ass. Yep.
3: Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's just, you're just staring right down Broadway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, a lot of flexes. Um, but it, it at a certain point, so it gets, it gets uncomfortable. Cause again, I'm just thinking like, Oh my God. Um, uh, Elsa, in my notes, Lisa is pure evil. <laughs> I don't think there is a more heinous, manipulative character in the history of
0: cinema than this woman, Lisa, from The Room. I feel like you're giving way too much character development credit <laughs> to this character. <laughs>
3: what? I, the man wrote a script. He wanted to make a movie, right? I am honoring that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um she's terrible her friend michelle michelle is always smiling it doesn't matter even the dialogue like she it, it, obviously don't no can see me but it's like oh my god you're having sex with uh with um mark i was gonna say Greg. <laughs> like, Greg. Mark? that's <laughs> terrible you're betraying johnny how could you Oh my God! Yeah. And it's just, like, why are you smiling? You're encouraging her. <laughs> Stop it! Oh, and by the way, her boyfriend—I uh, can't remember his name. So much face acting. Oh my God! This guy is just all with the fa- with the goofy with faces. The face. Yeah. Just it's like it's almost like someone told him, "Hey, whatever you think, I know you have the ability to speak and use your mouth and maybe emote." Well, who knows? Because you're an actor in this movie. (laughs) I just need you to just pretend you can't speak and it's your face, man. Pretend you're in a silent movie and it's got to be your face.
0: I always envisioned that actor to the extent that he had any acting experience before that movie, in which there was precious little evidence of in the movie itself. But I imagine he had to have come from like a stage acting background or community theater background because yeah that that kind of theater is all about big faces because you have to play to the back of the room but you do the opposite on camera like you have to play small and self-contained because the camera's right in your face and yeah. he doesn't seem to know that because he's like he's like on stage the whole movie and i see i i love how you are giving this guy a lot of credit by saying community theater and
3: stage <laughs> i think he, i think he took an improv 101 class and that's the extent and of they it. kicked
0: him out yeah, it's
3: like what's going on here? Oh my god! <laughs> that's actually what that's probably. It's accurate. like ooh, I like what's happening right now. <laughs> ooh, oh yeah, <laughs> In it's my like underwear.s uh, Yeah, that. By the way, that was the that was the the point five of a love scene. <laughs> Him And Michelle kind of being interrupted yep. by the mother for whatever reason, and then you're right. The anecdote for some reason later on. Hey, by the way, uh, I didn't have my underwear, so I had to go back and get it, and the mom had it anyway. That's that. Yeah. It's like. Well, that was lovely. That so,
0: was that, that really moved the story. Are you account- are you counting among your early tally of love scenes like the almost threesome between Johnny, oh my Lisa God. and like a 12 year old boy? Oh, Denny, it, D- Denny or Danny. I can never figure it out. It, di- it changed throughout the movie.
3: <laughs> OK, this kid slash grown adult <laughs> has no boundaries.
1: Zero no. boundaries. No.
3: Um and I can't there sometimes is a look in his eyes of pure malevolence <laughs> that makes you wonder he either a grows up to be the Joker or Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> That's it. Those are his two choices. That's
0: it. Those are the only two career
3: paths available to him. It would not surprise me if you were to say, "Oh yeah, you did not totally realize that the room was meant to be a prequel to The Dark Knight." That that's actually the real Heath Ledger origin story? It's funny. <laughs> oh my god. So I had a friend who had a girlfriend, and I love—I like to watch them. Um, or, and, seriously, or, I was like, I like to watch. Like, what the fuck is happening here? Um,
0: I, I mean, how about just all was, the, like the ridiculous little sequences of that movie that just don't need to be there? Where it's like, he's at the coffee shop, and they do like... 45 seconds of customers walking up to the counter that don't need to be there or he walks into the flower shop to buy the flowers and she tells him, you're my favorite customer, hi doggy, and none of that needs to be there.
3: So that was one of the scenes where everyone in the theater spoke along with it you know, uh, that's like, oh hi John, I didn't recognize you there, that's me Um, that also, obviously the rooftop's like, I did not hit her, I did not, it's bullshit I did not, oh hi Mark (laughs) I love that. Um, yeah, that was when everyone did uh, uh,
0: spoons, spoons. Yeah, yeah, yep.
3: spoons. Obviously, there was a lot of, you know, spoons being I, one person had to have like a box of 100 plastic spoons.
0: There was no <laughs> there was no explanation for the prepared. For, for the back of the cinema. Oh. Um, I've never seen the room in the theater before, so I've never done the Rocky Horror Picture Show interactive experience with this movie. OK, oh, it's, uh,
3: this is also something. It, the whole movie is 80 yard there it's nothing but ADR. And for the folks who do, don't, don't know what the industry lingo, ADR is like automated dialogue replacement. That's what happens when you're shooting on the day and either sound doesn't pick up, there's ambient noise, there's something. And the actor has to go back later on. They get them in a recording booth. They put up the scene on the screen and they sync up and say the dialogue, but obviously to a clean track. And, um, and, and right, you, you, people probably you, you, you hear it a lot of times.
0: Yeah. You it, can it's, tell it's, it, it's, it's hard to it get changed. it. Perfect.
3: Yeah, there's a change in the track because, yeah, you 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 kill all the ambient noise when you're in a recording studio, and it just it just sounds so clean. A lot of times you have it on establishing shots or the back of people's heads where it's like, so, hey, where are we going? It's kind of like in, in Force Awakens when they arrive at Maz Kanata's place, and they're walking in, and we're at their backs, and you get a little uh, – some exposition. Mm-hmm. That's basically what that is. The whole movie is ADR. For whatever reason, sound <laughs> did not work or just Tommy wanted to go back and do it all. Even with that, and it's the weirdest thing, this movie is so quiet. The volume seemed to be down, which is weird because everything beforehand, like in the commercial and all that, like the theater audio was fine. I actually think the audio track of the film is just lower. Like whoever recorded it had the volume knob accidentally down and didn't realize it until they shipped the movie. It's like, oh shoot, this was on a three. (laughs) You really had to listen hard. Yeah. And it's it's harder when you're in a community theater type viewing experience where people are talking a lot and adding commentary and doing this and it's like a whole fun interactive thing. There are just you actually just miss dialogue because it's it's so low and that was that was weird. Um, okay, so obviously uh, Mark is is awful care, a friend. He's he's really not his friend because he just immediately drops a hat talks to starts hooking up with Lisa. Um, we don't know why oh, she's so fixated with him. Again, I, I know I'm really analyzing this movie. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, pardon me. Um, I love the close-up on his shaved face for no reason. <laughs> like, whenever he was on, I felt, it felt like a soap opera. It felt like it was shot like a soap opera. You know, And that's also the establishing shots. I, it, it's the weirdest thing, this movie. It feels like it wants to be a TV show. Um, okay, let's see. What, what, what did I write? Uh, why? Why any of it? No plot.
0: <laughs> why Why any of it? No plot.
3: Um, and right under that, I have Disney allowed that. Because, you know, when one of the outdoor shots, the Disney store is right in the background.
0: But oh, yeah, there's a, no a way they cleared that.
3: Strategically, a tree is strategically blocking the D and I think like the N. But it's so clearly the Disney store. And when I saw that, it was like hit me in the face. And obviously, because I'm a lawyer watching, I'm like, oh, wait a minute.
0: How did that happen? <laughs> I mean, there's no and way like, no way that got cleared for sure. Well, but
3: but now it's in theaters everywhere again. So I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Um, the, oh, uh, almost like beforehand, just before Lisa's mother, the most casual news of breast cancer ever. <laughs> she might as well have had a cough. <laughs> it's like, and i'm dying and i got the test pe- the, the test results back and i definitely, I definitely have breast t- cancer <laughs> definitely <laughs> that's that's totally the way people say that oh and i'm sorry just one more, i just have to, one, one scene that i just absolutely loved the party yeah. the party was completely insane to me <laughs> because again it all takes place in this one room right like the living room of this apartment it's it's maybe like what like a ten by fifteen foot room or something.
0: Yeah, not a big room. It's a room. small
3: room, but yet they do this the thing that you have in party scenes at movies or with a lot of people, where they go like sh- showing people speak, but you can't really hear them or something, or just like w- with dialogue you can't make out. But it's just you know it's just okay people are here at the party and they're socializing. They do that with this, but they have music playing over it, so you there is no audio of the people talking. But again, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, no, 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 no. If you're in this party, you hear the person on the other side of the room because they're literally like 10 feet away from you. There's – Right. <laughs> we're, we're, they're, they're making it seem like this whole vast thing. No. So then also when then Lisa is trying to get Mark like all hot and bothered and doing stuff, it's like she's right in the middle of all this. Everyone can see them. I know. There's no, there's no hiding this. Right. Like, hey, let's go outside. And But really – all they're doing is going out the front door <laughs> to the garage – to, like, where the car is parked, and yet we see them then in this weird, like, tiki, like, uh, setup. Um, I love the guy. I, I guess Evan told me, our good friend Evan, that that guy is supposed to be the psychiatrist, or the psychologist uh, Peter. Yes. The guy that all of a sudden in the white shirt started talking to Lisa about, like, you can't betray Johnny. You have to tell him, you have to tell him the truth. And you're like, who is this? <laughs> He just shows up. Who is this guy? Here's a guy we have not met. We don't know his name. We know nothing about him. And all of a sudden, he's in the middle of the story, in the middle of our characters, like with Michelle. Like, who the
0: frig are you, guy? (laughs) Who said you're allowed to be a part of this? (laughs) This masterpiece. Oh, my God. Beautiful. All right. We are ridiculously over time, but... Oh, we are? Oh, but, Yeah, we went off for like almost a half hour on this, but... Well,
3: see, because I feel like I'm talking to you on the phone normally. Uh, to me, I've, I've actually completely lost all structures of the
0: show. <laughs> and, and, and the show has lost all structure. But now, in 30 seconds, can you tell us what you thought of The Disaster Artist, which is the movie that just came out that chronicles the making of The Room I and might win awards and stuff?
3: Loved, I love The Disaster Artist. And I'll say this. You do not have to see the room to see the disaster artists. Um, I've heard people say you, you can either see that and then see the room or like me, like see the room and, you know, see this. I loved it. I I, lo- I, uh, I have a lot of people in there that I like. Um, the How did this get made? Podcast crew. Uh, Paul Shear, who uh, he was the uh, the DP. Uh, June Diana Raphael, and she played uh, Michelle. Uh, Jason Manzukis, who uh, played like the camera, uh, the camera uh, studio guy with uh, Hannibal Burris. So I, I love them, and obviously Seth Rogen is great. I'm not sure how to talk about James Franco right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. Yeah.
3: So Dave Franco was really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> you gotta love Eddie Dave, I guess. Um, but it it really was a movie about following your dreams. That's that's what the core crux of this film is about. It you know it's. Obviously, yes, you have this ins- absolutely insane p- point in time where this movie is being made, and screw your thirty seconds. Um, <laughs> it's it was fascinating. At some points, it's very it's very like, oh my god, this is you know this this was not. It's like okay, we look at it as all fun and games, but you know there was some serious stuff happening behind the scenes during the making of this, um, and it's you know especially like you know like I said with the love scenes and like the nudity involved I'm I was thinking like what's going on with this actress and yeah you know there's some you know there's a lot of considerations involved and everything but it, at at the core of this movie it's about following your dreams it's about making something yourself it's a, it just not giving it up having your friends support you it's it, it, it was a very moving story you're right the backdrop of it is complete total insanity, and about a guy that is bonkers and uh, <laughs> mostly not. You mostly you can't understand this guy, but you can under. And I don't mean like like audibly. I just mean like, where's he coming from? Like, why 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 is it he does these things? But at the core of it is a guy that just wanted to do something. Had a dream. Had something inside of him in his head and his heart, and he went out and did it. He tried to go about it one way, and just he couldn't get anywhere. But he didn't give up. He didn't let stop him, and he just went out and did it. And so I do love that. I love the idea. These guys wanted to go to to L. A. to Hollywood to make it, and they're trying and trying and trying. Um, it's, it's I I think it is a great movie to see. Whether or not you've seen the room, whether or not you care about the room, whether or not you care about this sort the whole genre of like so bad it's good, or whatever. It's just a very good story, of following your dreams, Like I said, I've said that now many times, well, but that's
0: really what it is. And it sounds like the listeners of our podcast could, you know, like this movie could speak to them considering that they're all trying to it follow their dreams. It actually could. Yes. There you go. And it's, like I said,
3: you know, it, I would go about things a little bit differently.
0: Um, <laughs> Maybe make uh, better art. <laughs>
3: yeah. But ultimately the man wanted to make a movie that people saw and talked about, right? He wanted to make a piece of art. He did. And people are talking about it still. You know, what the movie came out in 2003. How many movies do you know came out in 2003?
0: Like, no, like, like off the top of my head, yeah.
3: You're, yeah, like I don't. Yeah. And it's funny. They actually have people, like, it, it, they have uh, actors talking about it at the beginning of the, fi- of the film, sort of set up, you know, why you think you should care about this. Because here's some people that, like J.J. Abrams, Adam Scott, Kristen Bell. Um, it's it's it, it's it's it is this thing in, in in Hollywood and obviously now across the country, who knows I maybe mean the world. This 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 whole this this phenomenon, but it's true. It doesn't matter that, you know, it's like he, he felt kind of bad for him because people were you know they're laughing at him, but then he realized it's like okay, but it's they're talking about it. It's something and it's providing entertainment. So ultimately, he he succeeds. He succeeds in his goal, which is amazing. Yeah, and it's not in the way he thought, but it it's come you know it's come to fruition. And heck, he got on the to go on the Golden Globe stage. And I was going to say something for James
0: Franco pushed aside. I know I, I I wanted that for him so badly it breaks my heart. Um, yeah. thank you very much, Dave. Oh wow, yes, we this yeah. The counter says forty three minutes. Oh my God, man, you well, just, you blew up the runtime of my podcast, Dave. No,
3: well let, let's just keep going. Let's screw it. Keep going. We're keeping it going. All right. <laughs> Marathon podcast.
0: No, we can right? we can bring you on in subsequent episodes to talk more about movies. This is not the only no. time you'll ever no. get to talk about movies, Dave. No, I'm Dave. not going anywhere, Dave. Not, you should you got, should got, but you, the laptop is plugged in. If you want to talk movies, you can like have a movie podcast and talk movies, whatever you want.
3: You, I should launch my own podcast, Ryan. Yes, a Dave movie podcast. Yes. Huh. Interesting. Maybe I will, Ryan. Maybe I will. Beautiful. <laughs> no, dude, it was fun uh, being able to chat with you, actually being on the show. Sorry, I, I, folks, I know I didn't give you any of my normal Daveness or whatever, like, you know, any characters or whatnot, but uh, it's it's always fun being on the program. So uh, thank you. I, I I hope we were able to entertain you a bit, and I hope you go out and see, see some movies. Um, there's a lot of good ones out right now. <laughs> this, you just talked for the whole
0: outro. Are you serious? Yes. You didn't tell me that because I, I, I thought like that was the nice punctuation when you said maybe I will. And so I thought it was a good punctuation to get into the outro and I played it and then you just talked all the way through it.
3: So are we still recording now? Yes. Well, because you didn't anything, it. I can barely hear. I, I couldn't hear the outro. I couldn't hear it playing. <laughs> this is great. All right, keep all this in. Keep all this in. Well, I will oh, do, right. buddy. All right. Thank okay. you so okay, much for second, being right on. wait, right, wait, right, right. Maybe I will, Ryan. Maybe I will. (laughs) Are we clear? Hey, everyone. My dad says hi, by the way.